Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today is the Commonwealth Secretary-General, Patricia Scotland, who is the sixth Secretary-General of the Commonwealth of Nations and, incidentally, the first woman to hold this post. She was elected at the 2015 Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in 2016, is a barrister by profession. She was elevated to the House of Lords in 1997 and, as a British Labour Party politician, served in ministerial positions within the United Kingdom's government most notably as the Attorney General for England and Wales and Advocate General for Northern Ireland. Welcome to the show, Commonwealth Secretary General. Thank you very much for having me. It's a a real thrill. As you uh, outlined the nature of this programme, I felt as if you were talking about my whole life because it's the interest that I've had for so many years. Well, we're so glad you can join us. And exactly that, in terms of your profile of being able to to echo that and dispense it to, to many more women who are listening to us across the globe. To start with, looking at your current portfolio, the Commonwealth consists of 54 member states, which is, in effect, the equivalent of the number of countries making up Africa. Can you tell us more about the relevance of the Commonwealth today? Well, the the Commonwealth really represents about one third of the world. It's 2.4 billion people, 60% of whom are under the age of 30. So it's a young Commonwealth. And the youngest of all is, of course, Uganda, where 89% of uh, Ugandans are under the age of 30. So it's an incredibly dynamic, useful um, constellation of countries. But we're bound together not by treaty, but by values and by principles. And the Commonwealth has grown from the original eight members um, in 1949 to the 54 members that we now have. And the powerful platform that this creates is really an opportunity to bring all the talents of these 54 countries who come from five different regions. 19 of them are from Africa. And if you look at the Mo Ibrahim index, those African countries who are part of our Commonwealth family are either at the top of that uh, democracy index or in the middle. We've got no country near the bottom. And that family's commitment to each other has been very strong. But one of the very important things about our Commonwealth is we represent the small, the vulnerable, and the developing, because 32 of our member states are small states and every single state in our Commonwealth is equal to the other. No one is um, greater than the other and we do everything by consensus. And it's really been a powerful uh, instrument for change because you'll remember that it was the Commonwealth which led the fight against apartheid in South Africa. And it was the Commonwealth who was the first one to say, because we are all equal, we won't tolerate uh, difference being uh, made between our citizens on the grounds of race, religion, or any other matter. And I think it's one of the proudest things that the Commonwealth did. And we were so thrilled that when Nelson Mandela first came 
to um, the UK, Madiba went straight to the Commonwealth Secretariat because the Commonwealth had led that charge. And so I think values is what I would say of the Commonwealth as relevant today as it was then when we look at the issues we're dealing with, which are things like well, race, we're still dealing with race, the Black Lives Matters issues, we're still dealing with issues of climate change. And in 1989, it was the Commonwealth who said climate change presents an existential threat. And we've been on that ever since. And the economic uh, pressure for equality, and right now with COVID-19, again, it's the Commonwealth member states coming together to create the COVID-19 resource center, sharing everything we have as a family to try and preserve our humanity. So it's an extraordinary um, group of nations bound by, I suppose, people don't often like this word, but it's bound by love and um, and values. And with those values, it sounds as though there is equality entrenched, there is care, there's togetherness yep. and unity, yep. which are, are driving the, the, the positive effects of the organisation. Yep. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true, because I remember when I, when I um, became Secretary General, um, I looked at, so what is it about the Commonwealth? And, and I thought the Commonwealth has to be built on all our talents. Because if you think about it, we're like a petri dish. We have big ones, small ones, um, rich ones, poor ones, squeezed middle. We've got every race, every creed, every religion. And when those countries come together and they sit round the same table as equals and they listen to each other eye to eye, you have an opportunity to create something which is not easy to create anywhere else because we all speak the same language. We all have a similar parliamentary system. We all have similar laws and we all signed up to the same values. If you look at the Commonwealth Charter, which the Commonwealth committed itself to in 2012, this I think was a real precursor to the sustainable development goals. If you look at that charter one to 16, they are 1 to 16 of the Sustainable Development Goals, which was agreed to by the whole world in 2015, three years later. And when you look at SDG 17, which is partnership, which binds everything together, partnership is in the preamble of our charter because this is how we do things. And that charter took two years, three months and 11 days, if you like, to agree because everybody had to agree. And the question was, what binds us together? What do we believe in? What do we deliver? And I was very proud when I looked at what happened in 2015, that the Commonwealth having agreed on the charter, the world eventually agreed on the 2015 Sustainable Development Goals. The Commonwealth in November 2015 agreed when it came to climate change, we had to have a commitment to two degrees, a 1.5 aspirational target, and it had to be enforceable. And that was in November in Malta. What did we as a world community agree in Paris in December? One, you know, just weeks later, we, did, we agreed enforceability, two degrees, 
and a 1.5 aspirational target. So I think that sort of demonstrates that if we listen to each other, if we respect each other, if we hone in what joins us as opposed to what separates us, we can actually do some really wonderful things. Yes. And so that's why I'm proud of the Commonwealth, because of their ability to listen to each other, to care about each other, and to do that which joins as opposed to that which separates. Those are all positive, good values, which in reality, if every nation subscribed to them, I think Absolutely. the world would be in a better place. Hi, I'm Zonke Dikana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're talking to the Commonwealth Secretary General, Patricia Scotland. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Thinking about this element of time, it takes a long time to do things, to to be able to put policies in place, to to formulate guidelines. But where yep. we are today, COVID-19 has just had a devastating impact the world over. And that happened in uh, time-wise. It was just uh, at, a, at a scale and rate second to none. What yep. role are you seeing the Commonwealth play in, in trying to coordinate and support countries dealing with the outbreak and moving ahead? Well, uh, well what happened, um, and I'm really proud of this because what happened is as soon as the uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic started, the immediate response for the Commonwealth, uh, all of us, was, so what do we do now? How can we help? What have we got? And the Commonwealth isn't just about the countries. The Commonwealth is about the the non-governmental organisations who are part of the Commonwealth family, about 89 of them. So we've got the Commonwealth um, pharmacists, the Commonwealth doctors, the Commonwealth nurses, um, and all of us came together to say, what do we have, what can we share, and what can we do? Now, we've gone through a really dramatic um, reform program the three years before. So we've created a virtual platform which when COVID struck, we went seamlessly from a face-to-face to to a virtual platform. And immediately, we created the COVID-19 Resource Centre, which went on to our Innovation Hub. The the three major things that came out of 2018 was the Commonwealth Blue Charter, the Commonwealth Innovation Hub, which brought all the innovation across the, um, the, the Commonwealth, trying to put it in one space. And that creation of the opportunity to share knowledge, to share expertise, enabled us to do some fantastic stuff. So for example, as you know, the World Health Organization has World Health uh, Assembly um, in, uh, in March. So at that time, we brought all the 54 health ministers of the Commonwealth together. Virtually, it was the first virtual Commonwealth ministers meeting ever. But we just did it because we knew, one, that our health ministers were committed to each other. Two, that in 2019, they had already said, we need to prepare just in case there was going to be a pandemic. Now, we never believed that the pandemic would be by the end of the year, but we were looking forward, we were looking at things like Ebola and SARS, and we had posited the question, what are we going to do if 
the next thing that happens is a pandemic. And what if that pandemic happens in the next five years? And so we've started to think about the platforms. And this is what I have found so inspirational, because whereas everybody else was running away from each other, and so many people were unfortunately thinking, me, myself, and I, what the Commonwealth did is to say, what about what we can do together? How can we help each other? And it was amazing. There was no country that I reached out to. And I said, as Secretary General, will you help us? Will you give us your knowledge? Will you share with us what you're doing? All of them said yes, because this wicked, wicked virus has put its tentacles into every single home. You know, the fear that it's generated, our loved ones are absolutely affected, not by what we are doing, but what everybody else did. And what do we realize? That in order for my loved ones to be safe, I have to make sure your loved ones are safe. So this idea that we're separate was out of the window. The whole of humankind is being affected by this. And the only way we can defeat it is by coming together. And we we learned, if we had ever forgotten it, that we're interdependent. And what we have to do is to fight together to make each other safe. And that's an extraordinarily painful thing, I think, for all of us to go through and to be going through. But, you know, two things have happened. It has shown us the very, very best of humanity. And it's also frightened us to see some of the worst. But what most of us know now is we have no choice. This idea that that we can go it alone and do it on our own, it's just nonsense. We have to go together. We have to support each other. We have to care each other, for each other. And we have to work together. And that's why I think the Commonwealth has really come into its own during this period, because that is our modus operandi. That's how we have always worked in partnership. So this need has been really important, but the need to have women fully participating, I think has never been clearer. We need women in leadership, we need women deliverers, we need women's voices, we need women's intellectual capacity and it's been quite interesting if you look at some of the clinicians who have been working on these um, solutions the vaccines a number of the greatest working now are women clinicians so it's going to take all of us i remember my mother once saying to me you know because i i I am one of 12 children Uh, i have seven brothers I am the 10th of my parents' 12 children. I have seven brothers, and there are five girls. I'm one of the five, and I'm the 10th. And I remember, uh, and my, my, my father was the greatest feminist that I think I ever met, and, and he was probably made so by my mother. But I remember my mother saying to me, you know, shaking her head and saying, you know, darling, I don't understand. We don't let men do anything else on their own. Why do we let them run the world? They need our help. Um, And I think the idea that it takes men and women working together equally to get the best solutions is something I think I've had drummed into my head for my whole life.
Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we're talking to the Commonwealth Secretary-General, Patricia Scotland. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at WomanityTalk. You've raised several points here. The first one that I want to touch in, though, is with regards to getting more women into leadership roles and the types of programs that the Commonwealth is running to to perhaps encourage that. I mean, you being in this position is effectively you're, you're a role model and women can see, they can aspire to to walk into your shoes. But what types of programs do you have on the Commonwealth to encourage that uptake? Well, we have um, put the issue of women and women's empowerment through every single factor. It's not as if this is an add-on. This is an integral part of what we've been doing. And what's been great is to use the leadership that has been embedded by the Commonwealth women leaders. And so we have the Commonwealth ministerial, um, uh, women's ministerial meeting who have met during this period. At the moment, it's chaired by Kenya, uh, Professor Margaret Cobia, uh, the minister in the cabinet office responsible for administration has been leading this. And what she said quite clearly is, look, during this period of COVID, we have had um, the risk that all the great things that we have made step forward will go back, and we cannot let that happen. So we've been looking at things, for instance, like domestic violence. You'll know that domestic violence affects one in three women in the world. It's the greatest cause of morbidity in women and girls. It causes huge economic uh, cost and we have created um, a economic a model which will evaluate the cost of uh, domestic violence to enable um, member states to see the reality of uh, and the cost of not addressing these issues. We'll be doing women in leadership programs. We're looking at women's economic empowerment and the ending of violence against women has been critical. So we launched the Commonwealth Says No More campaign, which tackles domestic violence. But we know that over the years, we have had so many um, things that have not worked to address this issue. But we've also had brilliant things which do work. So this campaign brings together all the knowledge, all the expertise, all the toolkits as an open source Um, uh, opportunity, an open source platform to say, let's share what we know and let's get this right. So, for example, if I can give you an example of the economic cost of violence, we did some pioneering research. We, We helped Seychelles to evaluate what was the cost, the economic cost of violence against women and girls in Seychelles. And we came, and having done that research, they found that Seychelles loses over 65 million US dollars each year to violence against women and girls. And so there are programs which we can cut it because if you cut that violence, you actually create an opportunity 
to do great things. But we're also looking at programs to boost women's participation in politics. For instance, training women in campaigning skills before the 2019 elections in Malawi, where the number of parliamentary seats held by women increased from 16% to 23%. There's so many um, other programs, but what we concentrate on is implementable steps that can be the difference. It's not enough just to talk about it. We have to do it. It's not enough just to have legislation and frameworks and toolkits. We actually have to make implementable steps. So what I've done in the last um, uh, four years is to turn everything which was just policy and instruments into toolkits for implementation. Uh, we've just completed, for instance, uh, a performance management uh, program workshop, a five-day intensive uh, work workshop that the, our European, uh, two European uh, members came, but we have three in all, and our 19 African countries. So that it's not just helping governments in terms of their aspirations, but it's helping them by providing the real tools so they can implement what they promised to do. Every government wants to do what it says on the tin, everyone. But the question they always ask is, how do I do that when I haven't got the money, I haven't got the acuity, I haven't got the skill sets, and I haven't got the data that I need? And so we in the Commonwealth have been looking at how do we get that data? How do we get the toolkits? How do we make sure if one of our countries spends a dollar, a penny, a pound, no other Commonwealth in the um, country has to spend the same dollar, penny or pound? When I came in, I said I wanted to put the wealth back into Commonwealth, but I also want to put the common back into wealth. And this sharing of information, sharing not only what works, but we have to share what has not worked because for so many years, we've been fighting for equality in all sorts of different forms, equality for women, equality for race, equality for those who have ability, equality for those who have different religions, equality, equality, equality. But we have to make that real so people can touch it, taste it, see it. It can't just be a dream. And what I have seen in the last four years is through our implementation toolkits, we're turning aspirations into reality. And that's wonderful. That's a fantastic achievement because I have to say, I think there's nothing worse than reliving a Groundhog Day every year, day yep. in and day out. And when you talk yeah. about the resources, you know, 32 countries within the Commonwealth are part of a, a developmental nature. They don't have resources no. to waste. So exactly. by being exactly. able to scale up opportunities, making $1 pay for yeah. one thing and not having $5 pay yeah. for one thing makes absolute Absolutely. sense. Hi, my name is Yvonne Chakachaka and I'm UNICEF and Rollback Malaria Goodwill Ambassador. 
You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in the struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. A program against social ills such as racism, socio-economic class division and gender-based violence. Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amalia Balka every week on this day at this time. Today, we're talking to the Commonwealth Secretary-General, Patricia Scotland. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. One thing that I really wanted to ask you was, when you were talking about the domestic violence component and the No More campaign and the fact yeah. that you've been able to quantify that in the Seychelles that they're going to save 65 million yeah. US dollars as a cost yeah. for domestic yeah. violence, that yeah. if you're going to establish an index across countries and mm-hmm. once this is in place, the unfortunate thing is that People tend to only take notice, seemingly, when there is an economic cost to something and they can see what they're losing or gaining. But if you've got an index in place, then all countries can see what's happening and understand financially. Yeah. And I think the reality is that it's not that people don't want to do this. But if you are a government and you are really strapped and every uh, department, you know, you've got you've got to put children to school, you've got to build roads, you've got to build hospitals, you've got to have an innovation. All these things come and and lots of people say, look, I'd love to do it, but I can't afford it. So you've got to find a way of helping them. And I remember I had to do this. I was the Minister for Criminal Justice in the UK and I was given the small task of reforming the criminal justice system and the then Prime Minister, Tony Blair, said I had to, all I want to do to Patricia is to eliminate domestic violence. I said, oh, that's all. The, yeah, so what, what am I going to do in the afternoon? <laughs> so, so one of the things I had to look at is, and people kept on telling me, you know, Minister, we have no money, we have no money. And by the way, did I say we have no money? And just, just in case you're not clear, we really have no money. So I said, okay, let's ask a different question. Let's ask how much money are we spending now on this issue? And I asked Sylvia Walby, Professor Walby, to do an assessment. And I said, I want you to give me the bottom line. And if, because you know, people say there's statistics, there's statistics, and then they're damned lies. Nobody ever believes statistics. So I said, I want a bulletproof figure. You go and tell me what is the irreducible minimum of how much we are spending in the UK on domestic violence. This is 2003-2004. She came back with a figure of £23 billion. £23 billion. £23 billion. £3.1 billion was on public sector. £2.7 billion was on loss of profitability to business. And £17 billion was pain, injury, loss and suffering. So I said, OK, let's disaggregate that figure. Let's find out how much every single Department of State is spending on this issue today. Let's find out how business is spending the issue. Well, look, you're running a business and you are um, employing human beings and one in three of the women you're employing will have had domestic violence at some stage. Well, guess what's happening? That person may be late for work. 
four or five times a month. That person may be absent from work four or five times a month. That person's concentration on your job will be diminished. And guess what? The person who is normally assaulting them, pressurizing them, will be doing it whilst they're at work or because they know where to find them. So what happens? Your employee will leave. So all the investment you put in to build that employment walks out the door. So let's quantify how much it's costing you not to do it. And once I identified the economic case for addressing this, it was extraordinary. I had these conversations with businesses and they said at the end of it, but, but, but Minister, why are you talking about the economic case? It's the moral case. Oh, and I no. thought, oh, silly me, silly me. How? And because they only understood the moral case when they understood the economics. And that's not because they were cynical. But people were thinking, look, I've got so many problems. I can't cope with this. I can't even see how I can find the money to do this. It's not that I don't want to do it, but you show me how. And so by 2010, we had reduced the cost of domestic violence in the UK by 7.1 billion, but we'd cut domestic violence by 64%. So for every one pound we spent, we save six. Now that makes good economic sense. So what we did when I came to the Secretariat is I thought, okay, what's going to happen if we can take the same methodology and let's create a pathway out of violence with and for communities and, and find a way to enable us to cut the cost we are already paying. So this is not saying to the governments, you need to spend more money. We're saying you need to spend the money you are already spending differently. And if you do that, you will save lives and you will save money. And how is that not good for everyone? And so this opportunity for the Commonwealth is we created the toolkits to say to people, this is how you do it. We know how to do this. This is a question of us now choosing. We have to choose to work together because what we discovered is governments cannot do this on their own. We need central government, local government, business, third sector, individuals. So if you go on to the program that we've created on Commonwealth Says No More, it says, every, it doesn't matter if you're a neighbor, this is what you can do. If you're a bystander, this is what you can do. If you're a young person, this is what you can do. If you're an old person, this is what you can do. If you're a business, it will take all of us working together. Just as with COVID-19, the violence against women is a pandemic. If we had something else that was killing and injuring one in three women in the world or one in three men in the world, we would say it was the biggest pandemic we'd ever seen. And so it's a pandemic which has not been addressed effectively, but it can be. And I am so thrilled to see the passion, the energy that is spreading right across the 
Commonwealth. And Gambia is launching their Gambia Commonwealth Says No More uh, this month. I went to Gambia uh, in December. I spoke to the government and all our governments in the Commonwealth have committed to gender equality. All of our governments, we, it was there in 2018 that the leaders said they wanted to address these issues in relation to women, women's empowerment and violence against women. And we are choosing to do this. And by working together and sharing what we know, we are going to be the difference we need to make. And this is happening because every single one of us are choosing and every woman listening to this program, we need you. We need your voice. We need you to say, not in my name, not in my time. And we are going to be the difference. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to the Commonwealth Secretary General, Patricia Scotland. Tune in next week for the second part of our conversation, where the Secretary General shares more initiatives from the Commonwealth, as well as insights into her life.